Welcome to the Patriot Pride Podcast. I'm Captain Josh Ellerson of Third Brigade Public Affairs, and I'll be your host for today's show. Today, we'll be heavily focused on Veterans Day, which is coming up. We'll be talking with Specialist Palos, a soldier from 389 CAF, who's here to talk about what it means to be a veteran. We'll also be talking with Captain Worley about the upcoming walk and shoot. And then we'll close out with Mr. Johnny Davis Jr., a local who is a veteran of World War II. Now I have with me a specialist Thomas Palos from Alpha Troop 389. I'm here to talk a little bit about what it means to be a veteran, you know, what it means to him, why he chose to serve, what it means to him, you know, dealing with the people who came before him, the veterans who came before him. So Specialist Palos, I'm gonna start right there. What does it mean to you to be a veteran? For me, sir, it just has a lot to do with, you know, pride, whether it's unit pride or personal pride. Being a veteran is kind of something that you don't get, but you earn over time. It's something that you have to strive really to get. That's a great answer. I mean, you're 100% right. You know, you earn it. You don't just wake up and become one. So what was it like for you? I know, you know, you just did the cover guard for a wonderful Veterans Day ceremony. What's that mean to you, seeing all those veterans out there who came before you and just, you know, the support from this community was outstanding today. What's that mean to you? Oh yeah, the the support is outstanding. I've actually never been uh, anywhere personally where they've had such support for their veterans. Uh, To sit up there and be a part of the ceremony is really eye-opening and refreshing to see what came first and what continues to go uh, through my guys at the Color Guard and through just the students in the community. Yeah, that ceremony was amazing. I mean, the principal was basically brought to tears at the very end, and yeah. I think it shows a lot from the communities that actually support what, what we do. So do you have any kind of relationship with, you know, veterans who've come before you, you know, whether, you know, the current operations that we're in or the past ones, family members, mentors, anything like that? What's your, do you have any relationship with guys like that? Uh, yeah, actually, I come from a military-based family. So uh, my great-granddaddy, my granddaddy, and my my mother's actually adoptive father were all military Uh, everybody on my stepfather's side all the males are military except for my stepfather Uh, so for me it's kind of it just comes with it so was there any ever any pressure to is or just kind of in your family you just something you did i know my family you know it's all military and for every generation it was always a choice yeah uh actually believe it or not my the generation above me my mom uh, my uncle, my aunts, all of them, none of them served. So when I came up and I said I was going to join and I kind of threw the contract on the table at 16, she was super against it, believe it or not. You know, all of my great uncles and grandfathers and all of them, they were all combat arms. So when I came forward and said I want to go combat arms, uh, my biological grandfather actually was shot in Vietnam. So she was very, very opposed to it at first. Okay. How's she feel now? she feel a little better? Um... I want to say no, uh, especially <laughs> when I told her we were going to Afghanistan the first time. She about lost it, but... That's how moms are. Yeah. That's yeah. how they are. They, they do it because they care. Well, hey, Special Palos, I appreciate the interview. I think you've given me some interesting stuff and the, the listeners some stuff to, to think about. Appreciate you coming on. You did a great job at the ceremony today. The, the color guard did a great job. And uh, thank you. Well, I appreciate that, sir. Okay, now I'm joined by Captain Michael Worley. He's the Brigade Assistant Fire Support Officer. Captain Worley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, he's here to talk to us about the Brigade Walk and Shoot that's coming up soon. So, 
What is the walk and shoot for those who don't know? So this is a leader-based exercise. We will have the, it's a company-sized exercise. We'll have all of the company leadership, including the company commander, first sergeant, platoon leaders, platoon sergeants, as well as all of their fire supporters, including their FSO, forward observer teams, and, um, they, and their machine gun teams as well. And what they will be doing is training their ability to maneuver onto an objective while employing indirect fires on that objective to suppress it and enable their assault onto that objective. So this is going to involve a number of different assets. And what it will really stress is their ability to maneuver up to the point that the, the closest point they can get to the objective while a particular asset is is firing on that asset. So how so if they have an art, artillery firing on that asset, how close can they safely maneuver up to to the objective while artillery is continuing to fire on it? And then once they hit that point, they can get no closer while safely closer while the artillery is falling on it. They turn off the artillery and then they turn on another asset to continue uh, continue suppression as they and allow them to continue to advance upon upon the target. So, what is the benefit to the unit this training? So, the benefit to the unit is twofold. For one, it benefits the brigade as a whole because we're going to have a clear idea of the capabilities of each of our individual company leader teams and know and know their proficiencies and sort of baseline for their fire and maneuver skills throughout the brigade. And then to the maneuver companies actually executing the lane specifically, um, this will this will give them a good good training and proficiency and their ability to synchronize fires, maneuver on an objective while fires are being employed on that objective, to deconflict airspace as they're utilizing fires on their objective while also aircraft are in the vicinity in support of their mission. I know you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of assets, a lot of moving pieces to this. So I guess on your end as a big planner, what goes into making this happen? So there are a lot of pieces that go into this. The most important piece would be the development of the tactical scenario. What the troops are going to see for how, what they think they're doing, what they, their, their mission that they're attempting to accomplish within the scenario, you know, within the scenario itself. And then going into that is also the development of the actual walk and shoot lane. So going out there, determining where where the target tree is, proofing it to ensure that they they can in fact maneuver safely on these objectives while fires are going. There's a quite a bit of a sustainment piece to this as well, just uh, with alert elements conducting operations out there for approximately eight days, ensuring that the, the right ammo loads are available daily, ensuring that everyone has food, everyone has a place to sleep, um, ensuring we maintain accountability of all these per, uh, personnel throughout it. Quite a big sustainment piece that goes into it. Okay. Now, as the event is coming up, what are your expectations for, for this event? So first off, my expectations are that it's uh, it's going to be a very exciting event. I mean, we're, we're going to be moving very close to the actual impact area of of these rounds and I mean big explosions are fun it's and they're going to be close and it's going to be extremely great with that from the actual tactical benefit to the unit it's I, I believe we're going to have a great success with that as far as these all the company teams are going to get to see exact exactly what they can expect when they're when they're attempting to do a real attack how long these missions take to happen, how long it takes to switch between different assets that they're using to suppress a target, what it feels like to actually be that close 
to their uh, to an objective that's receiving fire, how close you really can safely maneuver to it. And so I think that'll give us a, a great benefit in our tactical proficiency as we move into uh, more advanced um, live fires and sticks lanes in the future. Okay, now to kind of tie this in, it kind of goes together, I guess, you know, along with your expectations, what makes this a success? How do we say we did what we needed to do, training worked? I would say we define a success for this in that each company that participates is able to create a, a feasible fire support plan that meets the objective of, of their mission and they're able to execute it. Essentially that each, each company that goes through it is able to properly plan and then utilize and synchronize each of the various assets that they've been allocated for this to safely accomplish their mission and seize the trench system that they're going to be attacking. And it's gonna be quite a, quite a challenge, but I think they can do it with the synchronization of air weapons teams, um, 120, 81, and 60 millimeter mortars, as well as 155 millimeter and 105 millimeter artillery rounds. Hey, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I think it's all we have about the walk and shoot. I uh, really appreciate your time. It's a lot of good stuff. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. joined by Johnny Davis Jr. He was in the Army Air Corps during World War II. He was a radio maintenance mechanic. So, sir, a little bit about yourself. You can just tell us anything about yourself. I'm always excited to talk to veterans and hear about their stories. I was born and raised in Jennings, Louisiana. I was there until I went into service in, in uh, March of uh, 1944 to Europe and uh, served in a B-17 bomb group, 385th bomb group, which was B-17 bombers. I uh, was one of the linemen that took care of the, the planes when they came back from missions. And any, any type of radio work or anything like that that needed to be done, well, I was more or less a troubleshooter. And so that was basically my job most of the time while I was over there. And I was over until uh, late June of uh, 1945 when I returned back to the United States. I was uh, transferred to, when I went after I got my leave and went back, I was transferred to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota and was there when the Japanese surrendered. From there, well, I was transferred to Albuquerque, New Mexico, Curlin Air Force Base, where I served until that time that we had a point system tell you when you could get out and when my points came up well, I came back to Louisiana to Parksdale Air Force Base got my discharge came back home in 1946 I uh, moved up here to Rosevine. I guess maybe a, a big question you know we, we, we talk a lot about you know I know it's personal for everybody what kind of drove you to serve back then when you chose to sir? When I went in? Yes sir when you chose to enlist in World War II. Well I was in the uh, ROTC in high school and when I got out I uh, just naturally migrated to the service and in uh, March early March of 1944 I uh, signed up for a program I qualified to take pilot's training program got out and, and started the program it was discontinued and so from there on well it was just more or less catch as catch can I, I went from one thing to the other until I, I went overseas and I was troubleshooter and involved in everything thing and, and was involved in two of seven food missions carried food had food drop over in Holland for the people over there that were starving 
and everything. I was involved in that. After that, well, like I say, went out to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and was out there when the Japanese surrendered after we dropped the bombs on them there. Sir, what's your relationship, you know, with the veterans who've come after you? I know we always look towards the past about the guys who've, you know, passed on the responsibility to the next group. What's your relationship with Well, I've always had a great feeling for our veterans, sir. And uh, I've always been involved. I'm a lifetime member of the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars. I've always been involved with things that, that pertain to veterans all my life. I know in my you know professional career, I've always talked to family members and you know veterans of past wars, you know, for advice and you know just you learn so much from you guys. So, what kind of advice maybe could you give you know for the acting veterans now, the ones who are planning to serve in the future? Be sincere in what you do is the main thing is that I, I've always banked on. Always trying to be sincere and honest about things. I served uh, as postmaster here in Rosevine for 21 years. So in doing that, well, I had a lot of dealings with the public. And being situated where we are here, I've had a lot of dealings with the military families and and all. And I've always tried to respect families because I know things that they go through. I've been involved with different programs out at Fort Polk there over the years and trying to help. Matter of fact, I was on call the chaplain service out there to help out uh, in religious matters. They had me on the list there and the young men back, I believe it was during the Vietnam War or something where they, they weren't allowed to leave the base. They were confined to, to the base. And so I was on call to go out and assist. They had, if they had problems, with, oh, young men always have a few problems. Well, I went out and I was kind of a counselor like, and I served that until that program was discontinued after the war was over. So I've I've been involved off and on basically all my life with with military people and all. And uh, to me, they're family. That's the way I've always felt with them. Well, sir, that's a lot of great stuff. I'd like to really thank you uh, for coming on here. And I thank you for, you know, once you're a veteran, you're always a veteran. Oh, yeah, that's right. You you know, you you served both in the military and as a civilian. Once you got out, you served. You never stopped being a veteran, never stopped caring for the veterans. So that's a big message, you know, for the current veterans now and the future, you know, never forget get those who came before you, those are going to come after you. I think you really embody that message just from listening to you talk, sir. So I really appreciate that. I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you for coming on, sir. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Well, I appreciate uh, you having me, and I, I enjoy these interviews. I'm not as good at it nowadays because of my voice and everything as uh, I used to be. I, I always felt like I was a pretty good correspondent. I think you did know, a great job, sir. And, everything. Yeah, and so I appreciate you, you having me, and uh, I've enjoyed this interview. All right, sir. Thank you. Okay, Patriots, that's all we have time for today. I'd like to say thank you to the veterans who came before us, those serving now, those who plan to serve in the future. So as the holiday comes up, hope you enjoy the holiday. The guys who are stateside, hope you enjoy the time off. The guys who aren't on duty, unfortunately, hopefully they get the time off. Please tune in in two weeks. Listen to the next episode of the Patriot Pride Podcast, which will be located on our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube page. The podcast is also available for download on the Apple iTunes Store, 
currently working on getting it on the Google Play Store. We'll have more on that hopefully coming up soon. Thank you, Patriots, and have a great day.